pre-interview forever man but hey brother welcome back to the protectors i like having you on thanks and you're definitely definitely a guest that i want to have on more than once because we always have something to talk about but one thing we were talking about before we jumped on is there's a ton going on in iran right now man and your book kind of keys on all this stuff your book's the iranian deception and it's out and i want to know what's going on with iran man what is what is its imminent threat it's it's hard to tell but it, the whole thing started with um, the Revolutionary Guard killed a, a woman in hostage uh, while she was in uh, uh, in captivity, and which means you know she was arrested. Yeah. Uh, you know, but I mean, they basically beat her to death, and you know the the Supreme Leader came out and said, you know, well, it was, it was an unfortunate accident, but you know things happen. <laughs> I mean, that I mean that just that doesn't fly even in no. Iran these days when you come out and say something like that. So they are, there's on their almost their 50th straight day of protests in Iran. And um, it's, it's a good thing that uh, it's not, uh, it's not holding up. I mean, and what I mean by that is that the protest, the protesting is continuing despite all the violence. Uh, I mean, they, the IRGC just has snipers on top of rooftops, just taking people out. And because Iran has shut off the internet, um, it's it's hard for them to get that information out, but they're still finding a good way to get it out. So I think this is this could be the start of something in Iran if you know they are not able to kind of squash it the way uh, the Chinese did back in the eighties. But uh, this one I think has a has a good amount of momentum to it. Um, now, what are they using to get it out there? The information out there because you know with the Arab Spring, you know they were using Twitter and everything else. But without the access to the internet, you almost wonder if uh, Elon's going to throw up some Starlinks over there or something like that. <laughs> well, they are they are using third party messaging apps, um, and what they do over there is you know they get uh, forget what it is, but it's it's they go they go around their internet connects their local internet connections anyway, and they use the third party messaging apps, and then they they also text. Uh, by you know some of their friends or and family they're either in the northern part of the country or outside the country so they're they're slowly getting it getting it out there um, and they're just kind of letting it go viral so you know that's you, you see that a little bit as a theme so far in my novels and I can't give away too much on the third one which really is about regime regime change but the the status of um, the media between you know, social media and you know mainstream media keeps escalating in each novel. So um, I think that's how it's gonna how it's gonna it's gonna happen. Um, but you know the the IRGC, you know the Revolutionary Guard, they've got a pretty good hold strangle, I guess I should say over over the country. Um, and the imminent threat, it's hard to tell. Like Saudi Arabia is really up in arms, but Saudi Arabia and Iran are basically you know two family members trying to sit down and talk politics at, at Thanksgiving table. You know, just, it's one of those things that they're always at each other's throats, but they know that they have to get along. Um, I think that it's posturing a little bit on the Iranians part, trying to get a lot of the focus away from what's happening internally. But uh, Iran is definitely the bad boy, of the middle East. And it's definitely one of those things you have to keep an eye on because 
an Iranian threat to Saudi Arabia threatens not only American interests, but um, international interests, especially not only in the Middle East, but in, in the West as well. So it's definitely something to, to keep an eye on. Now, we talked a little a bit when your last interview about how you got into the you know the topic of the Middle East and putting mm-hmm. that into your thriller books. How did you get into Iran? Why why Iran? And what's your what's your backstory with that? I, I have curiosity, honestly. Um, you know, I always kind of wondered why it was that Iran hates us so much. Um, you know, how did this whole thing start? So I started doing some research on the 1953 CIA coup of Mohammed Mossadegh, and then it kind of you know um, so I knew how it started. Then I started looking at the uh, at the Shah and how he's his reign was um, well. It was better than it is now, but it was not great, you know, uh, for the local Iranians. I mean, he just I mean, people just starved while he was you know having his lunches fl- flown in from all the, all these different countries. Um, and then I got into Khomeini. Uh, so you know, I just kind of looked at the the progress of things. So okay, so then I understood the Iranian threat. Well, what really got me into it even more than that is, you know, people, people from the West, especially Americans don't even know what goes on in Iran, what Iran actually looks like because they have, you know, such restrictions, travel restrictions, you know, especially the U S you know, we don't have the, the, the embassy anymore because of the hostage crisis. Um, so I, I started looking at all these different, you know, uh, sites, um, tourist sites or whatever. Uh, and I wanted to try and, explore Iran by way of my novels. Um, I was always kind of in, inspired by the Da Vinci Code um, because, you know, Dan Brown, you know, he takes people, you know, across, basically across Europe, you know, Eng- England, Paris, Scotland, all these other places. And it was, he did it so well that he came out with a second version of the novel where, you know, it was basically illustrated. So you could see all these things. And I thought it was, that was a pretty cool idea. So I wanted to take people on a tour of Iran, uh, through book one. And if they liked it, I was going to do a little bit more in books two and books three. So it's, it was curiosity and just interest on my part. Now, and that's really, I like when people, they turn modern work into their fiction. Everybody keeps jumping on the middle East, but they're going back to Afghanistan, Iraq, and it's the same old, same old, same thing. And now, and now a lot of transitions going into China because it's current events and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I like when we actually learn. So your research is, it's pretty in depth. And how do you, are you doing a lot of open source stuff or how are you, are you reaching out to people, you know, that were in the, the Intel community or DOD or, uh, I don't have, unfortunately, I don't have a lot of the DOD contacts. You know, when I was in college, I was fortunate enough to um, study under um, uh, General Sam Wilson, who used to be the head of the, uh, the DIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency. So I got a lot of knowledge about the intelligence community. Uh, a lot of it has just been me paying attention to what's, goes, what's going on in the news in the world and, you know, doing the research uh, online for articles, opinionated or otherwise. Um I was able to get a lot of research done by way of YouTube, surprisingly enough, because, um, you know, they have a lot of old documentaries um, for free. And these days everybody has a dash cam. So when when the people in Iran want to, you know, you know, take people inside, you know, one of the palaces so you can see it, it gives me, you know, basically an eyes on view as to, you know, what it looks like. Um, And then Amazon prime really had a hit. They had one really good, um, a documentary in particular that I thought was good. So 
I just kind of collected all of all the sources that I could, you know, between you know researching on the internet, even go to, going to the library, and just kind of brought it all together. But I tend to be a very visual person, so YouTube was a was a big help. Um, obviously, you can't believe everything you see, so you know you have to take it with a grain of salt. But as I'm doing that, you know, I've got my story in my mind. It's like, okay, well, we can go, we can go here to there. Uh, maybe not. Don't want to include that. So, but it, it was important to me to provide those visuals to to people who wanted to read the book. How do you like to build out your stories? I mean, like so many different authors have so many different processes of how they build up their protagonists and how they build up their antagonists. And what's your process? Okay, so I'll, I'll try and keep this as a short answer, <laughs> but. Uh, my process was different from book one than it was from book two. So in book one, I had Kirk Carruthers. So and he was, I needed someone who was an everyday guy that was going to Iran because people would see Iran through his eyes. So it was important to me that he be a, a, an everyman, uh, kind of like almost Hitchcockian in a certain way, um, because everything that the readers were going to go through, they were it was it was his emotions, it was his eyes, everything like that. So. That's how I did it with him. Now, in book two, I went with a little bit different direction. I introduced Ben Thrasher in book one, but he is now the main character in book two. And he is the, uh, the CIA undercover operative. I always wanted to do one with uh, the operative being the, uh, you know, the main character. But I had to, you don't, you know, your characters aren't going to be perfect. So you want them to have flaws. So, you know, I thought of a bunch of people that uh, I really liked and, you know, in my life and, you know, kind of threw in some of their personality quirks and said, you know, this guy's very smart. He's very lethal, but he's got some serious personality quirks that, you know, make him hard to be around. So it kind of makes him interesting to play with uh, because he's always trying to get better at it, but he doesn't like that part of of himself, but he has to use that part of himself. So there's a lot of things you can, you can kind of do it, do with that. Kirk, I kind of felt like he was one dimensional in terms of, he went to Iran to resolve this issue with his grandfather. Okay, his mission is done. Let's, let's not do so anymore with him. The, the Thrasher character is multi, multi-dimensional. So I, I really felt like there's something I can have to, to grow with as I go on to write uh, future novels, uh, hopefully. The antagonist, um, Iran makes it a little bit easy. Uh, for you because you know they just want to they hate the west they hate israel and they want to blow you off the planet so i have to i have to kind of get away from that a little bit and find out what are they personally vested in because everybody's going to empathize with a villain just a little bit in terms of being able to see things from their perspective so i had to find you got to find something that's a little personal um, in building the characters now how do i build the story Basically, I have the idea that I want. You know, book one was, you know, going to Iran. We had this crisis. We're going to rescue a CIA operative. Um, Book two was I wanted to, I really wanted to do a story about Iran, you know, and a Nazi secret. Let's take the two worst regimes in history and merge them together and see what kind of bad stuff we can get out of them. And I just kind of, I actually started out doing it on paper. I outlined about a third of the book and it will be as simple as, you know, Jason goes here. He meets Ben Thrasher here, you know, one line. So I, I would do about half to a third of the book like that. And I put it on an Excel spreadsheet and that's where pressure kicks in. Right. <laughs> like, Oh my God, you know, I don't have enough. How am I going to get through this? So from there, I just start, I, I, 
I'm a little bit of a pantser. I mean, I have my outline that says go east, but that's it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, you know, really outline a full chapter. Uh, wasted energy to me because uh, I want to be able to come up with, um, you know, thoughts and, and um, ways to get, you know, characters out of situations on, you know, at the top of my head. I really like let my fingers do the walking and my brain do the talking. Um, and then as I go along, I finally get, you know, the full novel out and then I'll go back and I'll kind of shuffle some scenes around. So you haven't seen Ben Thrasher for five chapters. Let's maybe move him here and, and things like that. And, you know, if I do 1500 words a day, you know, within a couple of months, I've got my novel. <laughs> you know, you've, this, you're going on your third novel now. Yeah, and you've been writing for a while. How do you, how do you feel like you've matured? You know, in your writing, that's one um, thing. You know, uh, talking to a lot of people, it's like you could, as you read their first books and you get into their third, fourth, fifth books, you see the maturity of it, and you see yeah. that some people, you know, they get a little bit, a little bit lazy at six or seven books, right. but yeah. some keep going and they they get really solidified. And I've, I've noticed that with you. Um, I think. I matured a lot more from book one to book two than maybe I did from two to three. Um, when I wrote the f- original first draft of book one, it was like 130,000 words, man. I mean, it was just, it was out of control. And, you know, I was so concerned about not describing things well enough that I, you know, became a little too pithy. Like if somebody's hitting somebody in the face, I would say, you know, he drew back through his hand with a vicious right, compressed his fist against the guy's, I mean, it's just like, no, 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 no. You know, you, you don't need to do that. It's like, you know, you're watching Jason Bourne. He just rips mm-hmm. somebody out of a car. You don't need to describe it. So I, I think I got a little bit better about that between one and two. And um, I tightened up on my editing a little bit um, just because you, I tend to be a little bit, I, t- I tend to be more of an overwriter, which I actually prefer because it's easier to get it out and then get rid of it later than it is to write too little and have to go back and put in too much. Uh, so I, I think I've just become a little bit more self-aware of what my weaknesses are. And, you know, just taking a look at my, an honest assessment of my work and myself in the mirror and said, you know, if you want this to work, this is what you have to do. Uh, because that book one, I mean, there was one whole section I had to cut out like 30 or 40,000 words. And it was a good chunk of my research when I did the first one. And, you know, I could have cried about it. I could have taken a couple shots of Jack Daniels, but you know, in the end, you just okay. I learned from it. Let's take it out. And let's move on. What's the biggest thing is getting a, a real lessons learned about it, and then learning from it. Actually, learning from it, Absolutely. not falling back. And how do you keep positive? By you know, that's our big topic of today. Was like, how do you keep positive and putting pen and paper? And like, some people get you know, they're like, man, I'm grinding, I'm grinding, I'm grinding. I'm not really getting anywhere. But as an author, you know, you're not only writing for yourself, you know, as a published author, you're writing for an audience. Right. And sometimes that might get overwhelming. How do you, how do you maintain your positivity? Uh, you know, since I'm, you know, I, I am a published author, but I've yet to be, you know, truly, you know, discovered uh, yet. So, you know, it, I, I, there's a couple of ways I, I try and stay positive. And number one, it's, it's, I look at it as karma. You know, the more, if you, the more you hustle, the more hard work you put out there, somehow, some way it's going to come back to you. And I just try and, I try and keep that in my mind. Um, you know, I made a lot of friends, you included, uh, some other podcasters and, uh, throughout this process, which has been 
really fun. It's always fun, you know, hearing from readers who I've never met before who message me on instant media, uh, um, excuse me, social media and tell me how much they liked it. You know, they like this part. They can't wait for the sec- for the second one or the third one. So those are the kind of things that uh, that really keep you going. And, you know, when you sign somebody's book and they need to see the smile on their face, you know, that's that's when you realize, you know, it's it, it was worth it. You know, um, you know, a lot of it is just the passion. You know, you I've made this investment in myself, so I have to see it through. Um, it was it was fun. Um, and I it's something that, you know, I would have regretted not doing, you know, if I was if I was on my deathbed. So. I keep I try and keep all that in mind, but one of the more important things I've learned over the years is if you take all of the bad things, all of the negativity, or anything that's bad about your situation, and you put it in a backpack and you're just carrying this thing up, even if it's on one of those 12, 12 hour walks you were you were doing, um, I mean it 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 weigh, it really weighs you down. So is your walk easier if you have it, or is it easier if you just put the pack down? Uh, and that's just, that was the thought that I finally came across years ago when I was carrying around uh, a lot of negativity and um, both personally and professionally when I wasn't moving up in the company that I was in. So uh, it just some days it's, it's hard to be a tigger, you know, bouncing around. <laughs> uh, other days you just have to say it's, it's going to happen. Just have faith. It's, it's going to happen. Just keep putting the work in and it'll it'll happen eventually. That's what I tell myself. The one part really that you said something that really kind of hit me and it was like investing in yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times we just think about, okay, we're going to work out. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. But when you start thinking about, okay, you're going to invest in yourself and you're going to make it work. You know, it's like you can get the best car in the world and modify it, modify it, modify it, but you don't put the right fuel in it. You don't put the right this and you don't take care of it. Right. It's not going to work. And I guess that's that's the same goes the same way with you know writing and being positive and getting your motivation. You're really investing in yourself. Yeah, and I mean that really came it came from a little bit of a selfish spot on my part, just simply because the company that I was in at the time, you know, it felt like I was putting in the time and work and not getting noticed. But I was also at the the whim of others to you know inform my manager that I was doing a good job or you know wait on other managers to promote me or notice me or give me accolades or whatever the case may be. So I finally just got to the point where like, if I'm going to do this, you know, I'm going to be 100% responsible for my journey and there's going to be good and bad. There's going to be ups and downs. But um, if I am responsible for it, when I succeed, not if, when I succeed, I can take a look at myself and say, that was mine. I, I, I did that. And that's, that's another positive thought that I have. You're doing it. You are absolutely doing it. And you're pushing it out there. Your your marketing's really good. And I love getting my mugs in the mail and stuff like that. And I love the books. But the thing is, you the only person you really can rely on is yourself when you're getting this stuff. It's your passion. Yeah. And I used to talk about like when I used to work cases, I used to tell people, Mike, you know, when you transfer your case to someone else, it's not their case. You know, it's like they don't have that same passion and this is your passion. I I think going the traditional route with the agents, the publishers and everything else, it's a different situation. I think nowadays like you, you know, Eric Bishop, a lot of people are the guerrilla marketing are really getting it. You're getting out there and you have a lot of great words to say and a lot of great words in paper. 
you know, within those pages. And that's, yeah. I love it, man. I love it. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. It's, um, you know, the publishing, the publishing game has changed, you know, a lot, you know, one of the things that, uh, really, you know, propelled me to try and do this was I read, you know, when David Baldacci got into the game, you know, absolute power was his first book. His agent sold it to, um, I think he was with double day at the time for a million dollars. And then within weeks, you know, he got notified that, you know, Clint Eastwood had optioned the rights. So he's getting money out of that. And, you know, he's going to, you know, just make millions, you know, from there. So now one of the things that if, if you're not with one of the big five or the big, yeah, the big five, uh, Simon and Schuster, Penguin, Random Mouse, uh, Double Day, those guys, um, marketing is you're all you're on your own pretty much um they might do a little your publishers might do a little bit but you know my my agent re- recently attended a conference with uh representatives from uh three of the big five i think and they said that they were pushing authors to do more on social media i'm like well of course they want you to do more yeah they have to do it less. sales <laughs> yeah. I mean, exactly let's put it on the author i mean <laughs> you know i i kind of feel like you know Authors have a responsibility to do marketing, of course, but we did our part. We wrote the book. Mm-hmm. And publishers need to do, do some. And, um, you know, maybe one day, you know, I'll get to that point. But as of right now, you know, it's it's 90%, you know, pretty much on me. So, um, you know, you ha- I have to be responsible for, you know, thinking up new ideas and, you know, contacting people for podcast interviews. I'm getting ready to do a radio interview, I think, next week with some people in Saskatchewan, Canada. Oh, that's I don't know awesome. how many listeners they have, but I'm taking it. You know you what? Know? It's a ripple, man. You never know. Yeah. You just got to get it right, know. the right hands. Yeah, you, you just you just never know. So you know, I'll work my eight to five. I'll eat you know dinner with my wife. We'll come upstairs. We'll talk about some stuff. And then when she goes to bed, even though I'm just sitting in my in my lazy boy, you know, I'm thinking up new ideas. You know, mm-hmm. you know what are some of the other authors doing? What are some of the other things that uh, that I can do? And um, you know, eventually, you know, one of the doors I knock on, it's going to open. It will. So, you know, you just, it's, you can't, you just, you just can't give up. You just can't give up on yourself. I mean, if you give up on your passion, then, you know, you're, you're always going to live with this, this really big regret. I mean, and if you do everything you can, and this goes for me as well, if I do everything that I can, and for whatever reason, it doesn't succeed, I can live with that. I mean, I, I mean, it's going to suck. I won't like it, but I can live with it. Um, but I'm not going to let that happen. I mean, no, I'm going to keep going until I get there. You're grinding, man. And that's a different, that's the difference between hustling and grinding. And a lot of people, you just think you just have to do like, Hey, I got to do a social media post and I'll just go hang out and drink beer with my friends or do whatever. Now it's that when you're sitting at your lazy boy, you're watching YouTube, you're always learning, you're, you're trying to perfect your art. Right. There's a lot to behind the scenes than just hopping on the podcast. There's so much that comes up to it. You know, before you get to this point where your book's out there and you're now you're marketing it, there's a lot that builds up to it, the marketing plan and everything else. And yeah, as usual, I like you coming on the show, man. Now, where can we find the book? Uh, it's if you want the the trade paperback or the mass market paperback uh, version, it's it's on Amazon. You will have to go to Amazon for that, but it is in e-reader formats everywhere. So you oh, can awesome. I always get that, you know, from Barnes and Noble, Apple, you know, whatever the case may be. But for the paperback version, uh, for the 
short time anyway, Amazon is the is the place to go to get it. Very cool, brother. And we can find you on social media and everywhere else, man. Absolutely. And I, I answer every message that comes my way. And, you know, if anybody wants a, a signed copy, I'm more than happy to, to work out a way to, to get one to you. And, you know, you just, you just keep grinding, man. You are, uh, you, I, I am a, I, I am a big, big fan of the show. I didn't just come on the show just to, you know, hype my books, man. Oh, I you, know, uh, man. I love you've you. Got some, you've got some good stuff going on. You know, I, I really like seeing the, the leadership stuff that you're putting out there. I mean, that is really important to the world and especially in a world that has so much negativity with, with social media. So you keep it up as well, man. As long as you want to keep having me back, I'll be glad to come back. But uh, always brother, no matter what you will, you will stay in my contact list. I can assure you. Same here, man. 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 Same here, man.